Welcome back, everyone. Why don't we go ahead and begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So welcome back to uh, the second talk of our virtual retreat. Um, for those who maybe didn't hear the first talk, our theme this Easter season is going to be the heart as a home, sort of looking at the, the human heart, the center of our being as a home for others, where we can welcome them, make them feel safe, and, and where we hopefully can also find a home in the heart of others, not only humans, but also ultimately in Jesus and in the heart of the Father. And so we talked a bit about what exactly was a heart, what exactly was a home last time, and sort of tying those two together as a place of, of safety and refuge and love, uh, sort of against all the chaos in the world. And that we are called to be homes for others, to have our heart as a home so others can find refuge and that we should be able to find refuge in the heart of others. But sort of alluded to the end of last time's, our last talk, that it can often be very, very difficult. It can be hard, particularly to allow ourselves to be received or to welcome into someone's heart, but it can also be very good for, or difficult, I'm sorry, uh, difficult for us to allow, to allow others to be received into our hearts. There can be these different interior struggles to receive others and to allow ourselves to be received. And so that's what we want to do today is look at some of these challenges, particularly from a scriptural perspective, um, trying to offer some insights into this. Now, cannot cover all the bases, of course, but hopefully some of the struggles or the trials that we have of finding the home, finding a home in others' hearts or allowing others to find a home in ours, um, will speak to your heart. Uh, maybe you'll be able to see yourself or others you know in this. So the first one is this, and I think it's quite often difficult for people who have never known a home, who've never really had a place to call home, uh, it can be very difficult for them to allow themselves to be loved and to receive in a heart. Maybe we call this like orphan syndrome encounter a lot of people out there who see themselves as orphans, uh, sort of abandoned, forgotten, with no place to call home, no anchor. They feel they're sort of wandering throughout the world. Now, this can come from a number of different reasons, most often from our childhood, from our family of origins. Maybe, you know, you were come from a divorced family, your father abandoned you, particularly different types of trauma particularly sexual trauma, can lead to this. This feeling of being an orphan, of not having a home, and therefore sort of feeling very forgotten, very abandoned, uh, unloved and unlovable, and possibly sort of even powerless. You maybe have searched for a home, searched for a place to find love, but have been unable to do so. And so this individual who feels like they are an orphan um, finds it very difficult to, to know their identity. Often feels like they're wandering through the world, wandering through the earth, 
uh, very lost and unstable, unable to find a home. But also, the truth is, there's always that flip side for the, the person who feels they're an orphan, is they really don't know what home is like, often can find it difficult to make their heart a home for other people. And I feel like that. as an orphan, they've never had a home. How can I be a home or how can my heart be a home for others? And that presents its own challenge. Um, and so because of this, as I said, that there can be a lack of identity. If you think you're an orphan, you really don't know yourself as a son or a daughter. You can't understand that gift of childhood of the relationship that should be there. And so as a result, it's it's hard to be secure. It's hard to really feel safe. Uh, the person who is an orphan is sort of abandoned to the darkness and the chaos and their constant threats that are coming from there. So if you can't be secure, then fear and anxiety can take over. And it often can lead to an individual sort of becoming very, very tough, wanting to fend for themselves, putting a walls up, wanting to do it by themselves, you no know, trusting in others because they've been abandoned by them and really doing their best to rely on their own strength. Now, the worst, though, is an individual who feels they have been orphaned or abandoned by God, who cannot see God as their father as a result of different struggles or trials they or people they love have gone through in their own lives. So it's that, that orphan syndrome. And to a degree, I'm sure all of us have felt that in our own lives, um, and as a result, and it's very difficult to find a home in other people or to create a home for others. And as I sort of said that, that there's a connection, moving to the next one, the next issue is that of insecurity. And people can be insecure for a number of different reasons, not just because they, 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 they feel they're an orphan, but this insecurity means that you feel unsafe. There are threats. There's not a protection. There's not a bulwark against the darkness and the chaos. And so as a result, it can often lead to a lot of fear, a lot of fear of different threats that exist from the outside and possibly also from within. And as a result, uh, leading to a lot of anxiety and interior tension. Now, these can be a number of different fears. It can be sort of like a generalized fear, but more specifically, it can be a fear of rejection or abandonment, um, particularly if you didn't know a home, or maybe you did, but that home wasn't safe. Uh, there was abuse, or maybe emotions weren't shown. There wasn't a feeling of love there. It could also be quite possible that an individual was accepted into a home, and it could be a physical home or the home of someone else's heart, but was betrayed. That person stabbed them in the back. Somehow they got hurt and began to question, you know, what, what exactly has happened here? And so that fear takes hold. And the fear really begins to affect us as a sort of a core wound. It makes us sort of hesitant to accept love from other people, see the world and others as a threat, and therefore not really being able to to find a home in the heart of other people and also being fearful of letting other people in because if I let someone into the home of my heart, well, they could betray me, they could hurt me. Um, and so as you've seen, it sort of goes both ways in our hesitancy to allow ourselves to be received because of fear, but also that fear of what if we love someone and we let them into our hearts, what that person could do to us. 
And so really, it's a fear of vulnerability. And for those who have heard my talks before, I love to use that word. I guess I get it a lot from Brene Brown. Many of you know the, 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 the researcher into shame who's become very, very popular over the course of the past 10 years. She talks a lot about vulnerability, and it's important. The word vulnerability comes from the Latin word vulnus, which means wound. And so a person who is vulnerable is one who is able to be hurt, who uh, is exposed. Jesus, of course, on the cross is the most vulnerable in his flesh. And so because we have been hurt or we're afraid of getting hurt by other people, by the society, by culture, by God, whatever, we make ourselves sort of uh, invulnerable. We do not want to get hurt. And so we put walls up. We have our defenses. We shut up, shut off um, our emotions, and we can often maybe reside in our intellect. We can become very, very cold. But it all really entails putting walls up around our heart, shutting off those, those doors of allowing others in to see our hearts as a home, but also not going into other people's hearts, not allowing them to love us and to accept them, us and to receive us because of that fear. And so we will not let ourselves be loved and we are scared to take that risk of loving other people because we're afraid of getting hurt. And so, uh, the, as we've seen, there, there's fear as a result of a lack of security, a lack of having a home, a lack of being formed in our identity, of being sons and daughters, of being children. Uh, children, sort of their identity being formed whenever they do feel safe, whenever they do feel loved. But then we can sort of peel the onion back even further. What often lies at the heart of this insecurity, this lack of feeling safe? There are a number of different things, but sort of going off what I talked about before and what uh, Brene Brown talks about, big root is the root of shame. Um, shame is something that not only sociologists can study, psychologists, but also is prevalent in scripture. We're going to see that a little bit as we begin to explore some scripture passages, is that guilt and shame are not the same thing. Guilt is sorrow for what you've done. You know, I broke a window, so I feel guilty and I ask for forgiveness. Shame um, is sorrow for who you are. It's about your identity. Um, it's ashamed of being who you are as a result of things that you may have done or things that may have done, been done to you. From my experience, a lot of the time, uh, sexual trauma or sexual sins can lead to a great sense of shame. Uh, we tell ourselves, because this was done to me, no one loves me, no one could love me. Or because I've done these things, I can never expose this, I can never let someone see it. Because if they did, they wouldn't reject my deeds, but they would reject me. Um, and so what it does is it leads to, to putting more walls up. It leads to re resisting vulnerability. And it can lead to just generally hiding. We hide ourselves. We live in the shadows, doubting our own self-worth, uh, feeling that insecurity, questioning who we are, and ultimately uh, doubting the fact that we are loved and lovable. And so how could someone how could someone accept us into their home? We're too ashamed to go in the house, and we're too ashamed of our own house. Quite often the person who experiences shame thinks that their heart is impure. So to extend the metaphor, as a result, their, their house is dirty. No one would want to come into it. And so they don't let anybody into their hearts. 
And so we really can see it, like in the second, um, the second creation story in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, after Adam and Eve fall, what do they do? They hide. And as John Paul II has said in his Theology of the Body, they do so because of this experience of shame. They committed a sin, but they hide from God. They cover themselves up. This is what shame leads to, sort of doubting their own lovability, maybe even beginning to fear God as someone who's going to punish instead of a merciful father. And so we hide. We do not enter the home of others, or the heart of others, and we don't let any other people enter into our hearts. I really do want to encourage people who are interested in the topic of shame or vulnerability to be able to um, look up some of the work of Brene Brown. And I know a lot of the times this topic of shame will come up with um, or in the, the, the Blessed is She podcasts or the different um, writings that comes from that, that source. It's something that, that a lot of people really do experience. And, and what it does is it cripples our ability to love and to allow ourselves to be loved because through it, we begin to tell lies about ourselves. From this wound, a, a lie comes up that says we're not loved, we're not lovable, we may not be accepted into the heart of another, or we cannot accept others. Um, so what I want to do, though, is, is sort of focusing really on this idea of shame, is to spend some time exploring different scripture passages. Um, over my time as a priest and doing a lot of spiritual direction, there have been a handful of passages from the Gospels that really have jumped out at me as important for understanding this reality of home and of shame and of identity and security. Um, and so what I'd like to do is just take a brief moment to look at about five of them, and hopefully you could choose the one or the ones that you want to be the source of your own meditation. The first is one that we talked about as a church just a few weeks ago before Easter, and that's John chapter 4, the tale or the, the account of the Samaritan woman. <clears throat> we know the woman uh, went out to draw water at noon. Why? Because she didn't want to go when the crowds were there. Because she was ashamed. She wanted to hide because of the lifestyle she was living, as Jesus points out, those five husbands that she had. And so she's been listening to the accuser in her own mind, in her own heart. You are no good. You're unworthy. People are going to judge you. And so when she's there, of course, she reaches and, and encounters Jesus, who's not there to judge, but who comes as the true bridegroom who speaks to her heart. He acknowledges her sin, but shows her mercy uh, and shows her love, shows her who she truly is. I think it's significant that this happens at noon um, because it's the time where the light is the brightest. And so if we're going to overcome shame, we'll talk about this more, we've got to put those wounds and those things we're ashamed of in the light, not necessarily uh, you know, on the street corner, but to bring them into the light to Jesus, uh, particularly through the sacrament of confession. And so the wounds are exposed or sin is exposed, but he doesn't condemn, and in fact, he invites her to give him water. And what is that? That's a gesture of welcome for her to welcome him into her own home and her own heart. And in the same way that uh, he receives her into his own heart, into the home of his heart. So there's that, that reciprocity there. Um, and that, that's showing her, like, listen... 
I forgive you. You are worthy. Um, your heart is a home. I'm willing to receive you and thus restoring her dignity and casting out her shame. There's so much more we could look at that, but of course we don't have a tremendous amount of time. The other passage that I want to encourage us to look at is Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. This is a longer passage, but it is the woman with the hemorrhage who touches Jesus's cloak. But it's situated within a, a larger story, and that is the healing of Jairus's daughter. And so we know the story that the woman who has got this hemorrhage, something that she's ashamed of, a wound that isolates her, that alienates her from others. You can imagine that she probably felt like an orphan. There was no place to call home. Terrible insecurity and fear because she was afraid of approaching Jesus. So she approaches him from behind and touches the cloak. And of course, the power goes out from Jesus and he, he that she's healed through this. It's our faith that has healed her. But why don't we have this, this passage situated in the middle of the, the healing of Jairus's daughter. Well, someone pointed this out to me, that, that Jairus's daughter is healed. How? Because Jairus went to Jesus as an advocate on behalf of his daughter, asking Jesus to heal her. The daughter didn't approach herself because she was sick and dying in bed. And so this daughter had her father as an advocate to plead on her behalf. Well, this other woman, the one with the hemorrhage, who comes through her healing to know herself as a daughter, to know the love of the father for her, has no advocate. She has no advocate for her. So she is, she's kind of like that orphan. She's abandoned, but she is healed. And through that comes to realize that maybe you could say that she shouldn't be listening to the accuser, but that God himself is her advocate. He is the one who shows his mercy through Christ, and she is healed. Um, and, and that even though we don't feel that we may have an advocate or a father on earth, we feel that we're orphans, we've got to be assured uh, that we do have a father in heaven and to be able to step out in faith and ask for healing. And so Jesus in that restores not only her, her bodily health, but restores her identity and casts away the shame. The third story is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And that's the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. You remember that he's a tax collector, and tax collectors in Jesus' time were the Jews who were employed by the Romans to collect taxes from their own people. They were seen as traitors, and they often um, extorted their own people for their own well-being. And so he has this, he's cast off. I mean, this is a guy who no one loves who's probably filled with shame very isolated um, from his own people maybe feels like an orphan so he gets in the tree and he and jesus sees him and says i want to come to your house i must stay at your house today and so jesus sort of invites himself and so obviously that the the, the the connection to having your heart as a home is here Zacchaeus probably felt very unworthy to receive Jesus, but Jesus still wanted to go. And as a result, what does Zacchaeus say? Listen, if I've hurt anybody, I'm going to make it up. I'm going to pay it back uh, fourfold or whatever he ends up saying. Jesus doesn't care. He wants to come into our houses. He wants to come into our homes. And that he himself is going to be the one that offers the grace to be able to purify our homes. 
it leads to this deeper conversion. And then although we feel unworthy, the person who's going to really clean our homes and our hearts is going to be Jesus. There's a famous passage from St. Therese, one of my favorites, whenever she talks about uh, our own fallenness and our own weakness. She says that, that one of the best things you can do is when you're feeling the worst about yourself and most unworthy, is that's the time to make a home in your heart for Jesus, when you feel the most insecure. Because when we're the weakest and we're the most fallen is when he wants to come to reside in our hearts. Because if we think we're all perfect and good and, and eligible, well, then we're not going to really want Jesus in our hearts because we're going to be filled with our own pride. And so to be like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and to have our hearts open to receive Jesus. Number four, it's not necessarily a passage, but it's we can look at John chapter 20, but it is an example of St. Mary Magdalene. It's something I've thought about a lot. Again, we're not too sure of her origins. We know that she at least was a sinner, um, certainly experienced a fair amount of shame. There's always been a tradition, illusion of her being involved in sexual sins. But because she's forgiven, um, she ex- receives a lot of mercy. She turns that into a tremendous love for Jesus. And so you could really say that Mary Magdalene, through her conversion, made a home in her heart for Jesus. But you could still imagine that at times she doubted that, that she compared herself, that the shame took over and she felt insecure. Maybe fell into the compare and despair. Look at all these other women. Look at the Blessed Virgin Mary who are around Jesus. And how could he love me? How could my heart be a home for him? And it speaks to a lot of us who maybe feel the same thing, that we're, we're not good enough, that we're not holy enough, that our hearts are not um, able to receive others. Or we're not able to be received because of the shame, the experience, and things in the past. But this didn't stop Jesus, even though he knew her past, uh, from loving her. And so she is the one who encounters Jesus on Easter Sunday. And he, he knows her name. He calls her name. He, he loves her. He respects her and establishes that identity in the same way the Lord knows our name. There's nothing to be ashamed of, uh, that he indeed does want to make a home in our hearts. Now, of course, in that passage, as she tries to cling on, he says, um, you know, do not touch me. I've not yet ascended to my father. That ultimately, Jesus's true home is with the father in heaven. Um, but yet he's also opening up a way to come to live in our own hearts through the gift of the Spirit and baptism in a unique way, but he has to go to the Father in heaven first. And then fifth and finally, it's my favorite passage from the Gospels, Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. I mean, how better can we understand home and particularly the heart as a home? Here is that younger son who who takes his inheritance and goes off and spends it on sinful things, but then converts after doing all this stuff and in great shame, sort of goes back to the father. But there's the father not there to condemn him, but to welcome him back home, first into his embrace and then into his house. But that's really symbolic of, of being brought into the father's heart, being brought into heaven. Now, he has to be cleansed first, and he has to have his identity restored, but the Father welcomes him. Even at the smallest gesture, um, the Lord is willing to welcome us into uh, his heart. 
And in the same way, when we see people who are truly sorry, we need to be willing to forgive and to be able to love them and to accept them again. Now, there are boundaries, and certainly we can talk about this a little bit later on, but generally we get the idea. The real point, though, is that the older son, who was invited to come into the house, but refused to do so. And so that's the thing. It's always going to be our choice. We're never going to be forced to receive love, particularly love from God. And so often we can allow bitterness at the joy of others or the happiness of others, focusing on what we don't have, to make ourselves be excluded from the house, to stay on the outside. And the Lord will never force us. He'll allow us to live in our darkness and our misery. So again, so much to really explore there. But we can look at it in relation to ourselves being accepted into the heart of Jesus, our allowing ourselves to receive Jesus, but also, as we've really been talking about, into the hearts of other people. Whatever the reason is, it's often difficult for us to, these are the challenges of allowing ourselves to be loved or loving others because we feel unworthy, because there's fear, because we don't know who we are, and because we allow shame to wreak havoc in our lives. And there's one other area that I'd like to address that is somewhat connected to this, but is another reason that I've seen that it's very hard for people to allow themselves to be loved, to be received into the heart of others, and to receive others into their own heart, is the issue of perfectionism. I see it a lot, and there can be a number of different roots of perfectionism. Basically, though, is this idea that I've got to be perfect in order to be loved. If, if I am not excelling all the time, if I'm not making perfect grades, or I'm not doing something perfectly, well, then I'm going to be rejected, or I'm going to be condemned. And as you can imagine, um, this perfectionism has roots in a lot of different things in our world. Um, but those could be explored at a different time. You know, I gave a retreat on this a couple of years ago in St. Therese and, and how she offers an antidote to perfectionism, which we're going to talk about a little bit in our next talk. Um, but the thing is, is we've got to understand that, that no one is perfect um, and that it's part of the gift of merciful love that comes from a genuine heart that you're accepted into the home even if you're not perfect and that people will want to come into our own hearts even if they are not perfect. We're going to be doing our best, of course, to keep it clean and pure. But the fact is, 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 is think of it. Whenever you are with one of your best friends or a family member, someone who truly loves you and you're all over the place and you're feeling terrible, they don't say, come back to me when you're perfect. Come back to me when you're focused and not distracted. No, even in that state, you are welcomed even in your imperfection. In fact, I really argue believe that Lord wants to receive us even more in our imperfection because that's when we're going to allow ourselves to be received into the home. And it's going to be his love, whether it be directly or shown through the heart of another person, that ends up purifying us. You know, when we're feeling dejected and imperfect, whether it be through sin or through our own efforts at work or school, that's when being loved in that moment is what is transformative and healing. It's what changed the Samaritan woman. It's what changed Mary Magdalene. And it's what can change us. 
is that we don't have to be perfect. The Lord loves us for who we are because we are his children, not because of what we do or in spite of what we've done. He loves us because we are his children and we need to live in and to be able to embrace that identity. Um, so again, perfectionism somewhat tied to everything else we talked about, but it is something I need to mention. So ramping up this, this talk about certain obstacles that we all face in allowing ourselves to enter the heart of another and be loved and to know love from there or to allow others into our own hearts, I want to give you some homework. The first is this, to ask ourselves, why are we hesitant to allow ourselves to be loved by others, to, to allow ourselves to be received in the hearts of others? Is it something that we talked about today or is it potentially another reason to really take that and ask the Lord to bring it into light. On the flip side, why are we hesitant to love others? Why are we hesitant to open our doors and welcome others, particularly those maybe the Lord has given to us, into our homes to offer them safety and refuge and love? And then finally, you know, take any one of the, the five passages that I gave, uh, spend some time until the next talk meditating on them. You can meditate on a little bit of each one of them, or if one of them really struck you, take time and really, if you want to insert yourself into the passage, if you just, there's one line that jumps out at you, use that as a point of meditation as we pass that into the next talk, which is going to be ways that we can learn to allow ourselves to be loved and to be welcomed into the hearts of other people and to allow others to come into our own hearts. I want to thank you for joining uh, me for this talk and I look forward uh, to you joining uh, me and the sisters too for the rest of our cheat. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, or without end. Amen.